Good morning, Venice Church. How's everybody doing? Oh, man, that, listen, listen. Okay, so I'm a student pastor, and we like to get excited about coming to church because it's not just something we get dragged to, but, but, but because we're happy about being here. So I just want to make sure, is everybody glad to be here this morning? Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I just had to check. Listen, I am so glad to be here. My name is Joshua. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm actually our student pastor over at our Harker Heights location. uh, And I get to jump in here this morning and kick off this series called Ephesus, which is going to be so great. And I want to take a moment to say this. I think that we have an awesome pastor here at the Belton location. Do y'all love Pastor Keegan? Isn't he great? I've gotten to work alongside him. I've gotten to walk alongside him. And man, I'm just thankful for their whole family and really what they bring to the table here at our church. And he's actually at Harker Heights today. So we just swapped. We just swapped places for the day. We've got team members in the booth from Liberty Hill location. So we're all just kind of mixing up this Sunday, really being a church family like that. But again, I'm really excited to kick off this series uh, and kind of get on this journey. And maybe you're jumping in with us now, and it's your first time really visiting our church and and looking for ways to get involved. I just want to remind you again, we would love to meet you in the guest suite right after church and put some things in your hands just to say thank you and and welcome you to our church and maybe answer any questions you might have. And just like that video, uh, which I was in, it's kind of weird, like I'm now up here and was just there. But I'm super excited about Church Leadership College this fall. Uh, I actually went to Bible College a few years ago, and, and I'm so excited that we're kind of doing this ourselves and partnering with, with Global and, and, and having accredited courses to really start to build and lay the foundation for leaders here in our church. And so if you have any questions about that, if that's something that interests you or excites you, I'd love to say hello to you. Again, in the comments, I'll be there at the table right after service, and we could talk about that. Uh, but kicking off this series, we are studying the church of Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus. It's almost like a little bit of a tongue twister if you have a list. It's like, yep, Ephesus. And I'm super, I'm, I love the book of Ephesians because really we, we look at this and it's ancient wisdom, but it can even be applied today. It is so weird, and really, when we look at the church that, that was founded by Paul, the Apostle Paul founded the church of Ephesians, and he's writing to them from prison. He's writing a letter to the Ephesians, and essentially, what is he writing? He's writing this letter to encourage the believers in Ephesus and surrounding areas to live out their faith in Christ. And Because if we, if we look back, this whole following Jesus thing, this is a very new thing. It's not like today, where we have like Judeo-Christian values that we all kind of inherently understand. No, this was a really new thing, and that's what he was teaching during this time. And here's the crazy thing. The city of Ephesus was a hub of pagan worship, and the church that Paul founded there was a light in the darkness. It was a witness to the power of the gospel, actually transforming lives, pulling people from the pit of sin and into the gospel. And I think that that is so much of the world that we live in today. Okay, history repeats itself. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And so if we, if we look at this passage and we say, no, this is only about Ephesians. It's, it's all that there is to it. There's nothing that we can learn from it. I think we're really missing out on some gold here from the Apostle Paul. And that's where we're going to be talking about it for the next five weeks. There are six chapters in Ephesians. So we're doing this for six weeks. I think it's going to be great. Here's something really cool. 35 years later, after this is written, 
One of Jesus' first disciples, John, you might know John, would go on to write a book called Revelation. Okay, Revelation. John has a revelation of Jesus issuing a warning to the church of Ephesus. And let's read this together, and it'll kind of give you a picture of what the church of Ephesus was dealing with at this time. So it says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You will have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have been persevered, or that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you. I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's challenging. Challenging words from Christ. This is saying that the church of Ephesus had some influence they had the ability to really shape the early church. And again, these, these were people just like you and me. People with the same issues. They were forgetful. They were drifting from the importance of the gospel, what it really meant. And they really needed to be ingested and really informed about what this means. So Jesus is telling them through this, this vision from John, hey, we need to look backwards. We need to go back. We got to remember what this gospel truly means. And that will in, in turn affect how we live our lives. And so this is the main point for this entire series. We must return to Christ and his plan for the church. Return to the scriptures. Return to the text. Return to the testimony and the witness of Jesus Christ. We're going back to that. Church strategies are great. And, and I love that here at Vintage we have a plan. We have a pathway. We're trying to help people towards taking steps closer to Christ. But really, we have to come back to what was Jesus' vision for the church? What did Paul have to say about that? And this is what we know as orthodoxology. Maybe you've heard that word, Christian orthodox. What is orthodox? It's a fancy word for the instruction to the church, who they were in Christ, acknowledging where they came from, but still calling them to something different, something better. And, and what I like to think is that these are people that, that heard of this man, Jesus, who was a miracle worker, a way maker, a promise keeper. I'm just reciting the song. We just sang. It's easy. He walked around claiming to be God. That's a big move. And then he went to a cross and three days later rose again, witnessed to over 500 people over the course of 40 days. This is something significant. There's very limited info on who Christ is, and really these people are spiritually immature. They, were, they, were, they treated the, the following Christ like hearing a new story, right? Which is true, the gospel is good news, but not like the beginning of a new story for themselves. They looked on this as information, but really Paul is saying, you know what, this is actually life-changing. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Are you with me? If you're, if you're with me, say, I'm with you. Okay, so we're going to talk about the mystery of the church. And like I said, we're going chapter by chapter. And we're going to start this morning uh, by, by reading this entire chapter. We're not taking anything out of context at this church. We're not doing that. We're going to start with the entire chapter. 
And then we're going to break it down and really see what it actually says. We're not going to look and put anything in there that is not there. We're going to look at what it says. So if you would, let's honor God's word this morning. Let's all stand to our feet if we're able to. Yep, loosen up the knees. <laughs> there we go. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in, the, in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens and in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he's lavished on all of us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we also have received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring more praise to his glory. In him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glory, glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty work, working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Let's pray really quick before we jump in. Lord, we just thank you for your word, that it's a gift for us. It may not have been written to us, but it was written for us. And this is not just some history lesson, God, that we're learning today, but a lamp to our feet, a guide to our path. Help us to grow closer to you. Help us to grow closer to one another as a church body and a church family. And in Jesus' name, everybody said loud and proud. Amen. Let's be seated. So this is an interesting passage, and there is a lot to, to learn from this passage. Obviously, 23 verses, we've got a lot to work with. And again, we're going to break it down kind of one by one. What do we see about the church? What does, it, what does it mean when we're in Christ? What does that mean? 
Sometimes we get lost in the, in the uh, Christianese, right? The, just the language of being a, a Christian. And we need to really break this down. So here we go. This morning, in Christ, we are chosen. That's number one. We get this from verses three and four. It says that, uh, blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens and in Christ, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. We have to remember there's a spiritual existence and then there's a natural existence. And in Genesis, we read the beginnings of natural existence, the creation of our universe. But God, before God created the natural world, the spiritual one already existed. And he had something in mind. Really, he had someone in mind. And that's you. And that's me. And that's you. He had humanity in mind, lined up. Anybody a planner? I'm a planner. He had a plan. <laughs> that comes from being an image bearer of God. He, he had a plan. He had humanity in mind. And he not only chose us as a species to bear his image, but to those who believe, those who accept Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, he chose to make us holy, which means set apart, and blameless in Christ and in love. What does that mean? It means that the debt has been paid. All of this, as we, as we uh, kind of open up each of these chapters each week, we're going to see this, this whole eternal mystery. That's what, that's what we call it, the mystery of the church. And that spiritually, the foundation was already laid for us to come, for Christ to die, for our sin to be forgiven, so that we can again be in relationship with our Creator. Something that we mess up all the time. That we put the gap there where there shouldn't be a gap. And, and Christ gets to stand in that gap. But let me just show you what, what this really looks like. The difference between the, the natural world, the spiritual one. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery a wisdom God predestined before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What is that saying? It means that it's a mystery. What happened in that God made a way not just for the Jews to know God, to do the right things, but so that even Gentiles no matter their class or their background or the family or their name, they could be in relationship with God. That's a mystery. And this is not to say that, that the faith that we believe is just some giant mystery. We'll never understand it. No, this passage is saying the opposite. We actually see his will and his purpose through Christ. It's not a secret anymore. And when it talks about every spiritual blessing, this is the cool part. Did you know that following Christ has benefits? That's a good thing. Doesn't mean that we won't have trials. Doesn't mean that we won't have tribulations. But here's a good look at several of the different benefits, the spiritual blessings we have when we're adopted into his family. Check that out. Adoption, grace, redemption, forgiveness, knowledge, inheritance, the seal of the spirit, eternity. These are assets that we have access to. Some of us today, we might be discouraged in our journey. We look at the world and we say, man, it's too far gone. What am I going to do about it? Some of us look at our family. We see that, oh, maybe we're too far gone. And I just want to tell you today, if you're not sure what to do, 
uh, next, not sure what your calling is, at the very bare minimum, we have access to this list. We have access to these assets. You might not be skilled enough or, or think that you don't have the answers, that's okay. Does it change the fact that we are chosen by Christ before the foundation was laid? Everybody say, I'm chosen. Here's number two. In Christ, we're family. In Christ, we are family. The, the church is not just a place that we go to. It is a family that we belong to. This comes from verses five through six. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ. I know there's, there's times in my life I've had my family around me, yet somehow I felt like an orphan. Somehow felt alone. Maybe you've been there too, where you're so deep in your mess that you think there is zero way of getting out of this hole that I put myself in. That's where the church comes into play. And in John chapter three, it echoes this, that, that spirit is thicker than blood sometimes. That when we're a part of a spiritual family, we're not just going to church on Sunday to check the list and go back to my work week. No, this is what it means to actually be in a body. There's no rich or poor. There's no black and white. There's no popular or unknown. There's no slave or free, and there's no Jew or Gentile. All of it comes to the throne. I've heard it said this way, that the, the ground before the cross is level ground. And that when we come to the cross, we all come at the same level, imperfect, to a perfect creator. And this passage really shows us, when we're talking about family, is that it's worth celebrating our similarities first, not our differences. You know, the word diversity literally is the root word for division. Okay, that is not God's mission for the church, uh, just to prioritize diversity over everything. But in fact, what we've got to do is we've got to accept that we're chosen by Christ and that we're family. That comes first. That comes before everything else, every other strategy, every other program. We have the same Father. Amen? Number three, in Christ we are forgiven. This is good. I need forgiveness. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's a little uh, hearkening there to the, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer from Christ himself. I had a conversation with a student recently. I asked him, why do you forgive people? Like we were, we were out doing some crazy stuff at the, at the church. We had a yard sale a couple weeks ago, a little yard sale. And man, I just asked him, I said, why do you forgive people? He said, well, he kind of stopped for a second. He was like, okay, what's the right answer that Pastor Josh wants to hear? Oh my God. And he, he said this, I don't know, because it's the right thing to do. And I think that that's true. And I think it goes even deeper than that. Here's why we have to learn to forgive people and move on. Because Christ first forgave. That's where it begins. The fact that we come to that level ground before the cross in need of a Savior. That's the finished work on the cross. When Christ said, it is finished, that meant pass present and future and that is why we ought to forgive other people that is why we see forgiveness in our life when people mess up when they radically mess up we as christians have a opportunity to forgive and move forward when the world might not cancel culture i don't have to say more second corinthians five seventeen says this and that when we're forgiven there's a new there's a new person in front of you it says this therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation 
The old has passed, and see, the new has come. If I show you a picture of me as a 16-year-old in high school, you are not looking at the same Josh that you see today. Because 16-year-old Josh made a decision, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to try to find my own hope and everything except for God. I'm just going to stay rooted. I'm going to accept him as my Lord, accept him as my Savior, accept that I'm forgiven, and then forgive myself. And when I show you a picture of student high school Josh, that is, he is dead. (laughs) He's gone. There is a new creation here. That's how we ought to think about it. Next, we see this. In Christ, we have hope. In Jesus, we have hope. Sometimes we go through life kind of begrudgingly, forgetting that our hope is secure. It says in verses, uh, let's see, 11 through 12, there at the end, so that we who already had put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. We have eternal hope that everything will be worked out in the end. Sometimes we don't See that in the midst of our circumstance, in the midst of the chaos on Facebook. We think, how is this ever going to resolve itself? But instead, our hope is secure. The hope of the gospel is that one day, everything will be brought into agreement with God's will. That is what matters most. I know that foreign affairs have been out of control in our country, but look at what the prophet Micah has to say about how nations will interact with one another. It's really cool. This prophecy says he will settle disputes among many peoples and provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. It's interesting. Hope is not just in politics. As a believer, our hope is not just built on a 401k. Our hope is not just built on the next job or the test score. It is firmly built on who Christ is, what he has accomplished for all of us. Amen? Here's number five. Five of eight. Got a few more. In Christ, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard this before. I was kind of caught off by caught off guard when I was studying and going through this book with our teaching team. This really kind of, I wasn't quite sure what it meant to be sealed. It clearly says, in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. I kind of thought that was interesting. Where does this come from? And when you look through scripture, we see this idea of seals all throughout, even, even from God. And the first is this. We see that the seal was a sign of authority. So even look at um, one great example is the book of Matthew. Um, this isn't from God, but really when they put the, tome, the tomb in front of Christ, the Romans sealed it. They put a sign there that said, this is a Roman tomb. Do not touch. <laughs> like a museum. And Jesus touched it, okay? He moved it stood for the authority of Rome. The seal was also a mark of ownership. Identification in the Old Testament, we find the idea of marking someone with their particular seal. It's an ancient method of ownership. The seal was actually known to be a marking on the arm or on the forehead. So if your theology doesn't allow for tattoos, let's look at this. (laughs) Hey, listen, I I don't mind stepping on toes. I'm going back to Harker Heights next week, okay? So it's all good. (laughs) 
But today as believers, we don't have to have a tattoo to prove that we follow Christ. We instead, we have a seal called the Holy Spirit that is not just a piece of artwork, but it's actually a person on the inside of us working on his behalf and working through us. It's a promise to us that as believers, we are not stranded and left hanging by God in today's culture. That that power is within us, his authority is upon us. And we have a great opportunity now more than ever still to be a light because of what Christ has done in us. That is what brings us together. We also see that in Christ, we can access wisdom and revelation. This is really cool. It's point number six. Ephesians chapter, 15, uh, chapter one, verses 15 through 17, there ends with saying, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom and revelation. I used to pray this one as a student. God, please give me wisdom and chemistry. Please give me divine revelation. I haven't picked up my textbook in two weeks, but I just need some revelation right now. <laughs> it didn't really work that way. Revelation is a lot different than information. And what Paul's really doing with the church here is saying, look, the Holy Spirit isn't just telling you things. He's changing who you are. You are becoming that new creation. That's what it means when our faith is active. And Christ even promises us that when we knock, when we seek, when we pursue him, Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount, his number one sermon, he made it really clear that if you pursue me, I will answer. And that's, what, that's the promise we see there. Here's number seven. Everybody say number, number seven. We still here? Okay. In Christ, we can access God's power. Boom. I like that one. Verses 18 through 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. You cannot overestimate how much you need the power of God. We can underestimate the power of our flesh. We can underestimate the power of being in the room with the wrong people at the wrong time. But often we overestimate how much we actually need God. Sorry, underestimate. But we cannot, we cannot get too much of him. The power of darkness is real. The power of flesh is also real, but his power is greater. And the scriptures say that the same power that rose Christ from the grave is the power that lives within us through the Holy Spirit. It's another way to say it is this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I didn't even have to finish that. That's 1 John 4, 4 abbreviated. And, and I wanna say this for students too that might be in the room this morning. I'm gonna tell you this, there is not a junior Holy Spirit. There is not a different Holy Spirit and a different power in you. The opportunities are the same. And I'll even say this, the education system is one of the darkest places of our world. And I think it's strategic that God works through generations, works through young people to bring about a better life ahead of us, a better future. Students, there is a responsibility on you still to be alive, maybe even more so than those who might be older. It's not in my notes, I just think that that's good. Here's number eight, in Christ, we have overcome the world. Not because we could on our own, but because of him, because of Christ. And it says in verses 20 through 23, verse 22 says, and he subjected 
everything. Everybody say everything. Everything under his feet and appointed him, Christ, as the head over the body. There is no power greater. There is no power stronger. There is no offense. There is no um, uh, family dispute. There is no financial situation that is stronger than his power. Hope is sure. His authority is more supreme. Everything in this passage literally means everything. Look at the original language. Test me. Go to Blue Letter Bible. Pick it up. Everything means everything. There is no debate there because we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus wins. We still have challenges today. That's true. The job doesn't work out. The kids are crazy. The car's breaking down because it's from the devil. We, we run into things and we find ourselves wondering, God, what is happening? My life stinks right now. But the beauty of it is that this is not the only life that matters, which is that there is another life beyond an eternal one with him, but the mission is now. The opportunity is here. There are people that won't get to live in eternity with him. That's enough of a reason to get up every day. He's the head, he's the foundation that keeps everything together. No matter what gets out of whack, we just have to stay faithful to his word. And let's put that first point up from the very top of the message. We're not gonna do that by just doing things our way. We're not gonna do that by just ritually coming to church, but we have to really think back. We must return to the Christ, or to Christ, his plan for the church. Paul said, you've got to remember, you've got to look back. You've got to look back on why you did it. You've got to renew your vows as the bride of Christ to the leader of the church. And that's what we're doing through this series. I think it's going to be so good. Let's bow our heads for a moment if we can. You know, I think that our natural human tendency is to take control, take life into our own hands. That's what happened in the garden. We tend to say, I'll find something that I can put my hope in because I'm not hearing God right now or I'm serving too much or I don't know what the situation is. We, but we will keep stumbling. Without Christ, we will continue to, to stumble. Same issues, same crowds, same habits, wondering if we'll ever, ever be able to put sin to death. And listen, that sin is what separates us from Christ. It's our imperfection and his perfection. There is a gap there. But here's the good thing. Even though that gap is outside of our grasp, Christ steps in. He's fully God and he's fully man. And he pays the debt that we were supposed to pay so that the gap is filled and we can walk step and step with God daily. Even more than that, we can walk step and step with church family. As a body of Christ, we can have hope. We can be seen and heard and known by our heavenly Father. We can better forgive people. We can be bold in our beliefs. And as we stay in the attitude of prayer this morning, I just, I wonder if there's anybody in the room this morning and you're, you're hearing this message and you're going, man, I don't know if I'm really living in Christ. Like I know about him, but I don't know if I really know him. And I, for some of us, it's like this kind of thing where, where we've kind of played the Christian game and, and we've attended and we've just kind of showed up but haven't been truly honest with God to say, listen, I don't know you, but I want to and I need your help. And so for me as a beggar who has found bread 
and just telling you where to find it, I just plead with you this morning that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to our glorious and heavenly Father without him. So today, if that's you, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody here this morning. I'm not going to ask anybody to come up to the front or do something weird. But really, if you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ today, I just want you to raise your hand. I want you to make a commitment to yourself. This is not, the power is not in the hand or the prayer. It's in the heart and the decision. But I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So on the count of three this morning, I just encourage you. If that's you, you want to make that decision, just lift your hand, and I just want to pray for you. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Anybody this morning saying, I want to do things differently. I want to put my hope in Christ this morning. I've been putting my hope in the wrong things for a long time, and I need to live different. I see you. You are never alone in this decision. That is the first lie from the enemy, is that you're alone in this decision. But really, that's what church family is for. And so as we end our service this morning, we're going to pray together as a body of Christ, as a church family, a church fellowship. I just want to pray this prayer together. Let's say this. God, please forgive me. I've tried my own ways, but now I'm coming back to you. I believe you came and died and rose again for me so that I can have a relationship with you. I give you permission to be God in my life. Lead me, guide me, just show me what is next. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.